0: Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51, it's a very short passage. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And And he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went into another village. Let's pray. Father God, we pray this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each of us, that you would be refining us and working in us, that we would be more like your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was uh, once a young man who really, really wanted to become a journalist. He had a great passion for becoming a journalist. That's all he wanted to do. Trouble was that he lived in a small, quiet country town. One day... A strange event occurred which gave him the opportunity that he had always wanted. One day the dam that protected the town broke and the water from the nearby river rushed through and flooded that small town. The young man got into his rowboat, which he just happened to have, and he rowed around town looking for a story, the story to make a name for himself. And as he paddled around town, he came upon a lady who was sitting on the roof of her house. And so he tied up his boat and went onto the roof as well and sat down and had a chat with her. And he told her that he had always wanted to be a famous journalist. He told her that he was looking for a really good story. And as they sat on the top of their roof that day, all sorts of things sort of floated by. At one stage, the woman cried out, Now there's the story that you've been looking for, as her next door neighbor floated by on his kitchen table. The young man was unimpressed and said, No, that's not the story. But then he noticed something amazing, something incredible, and it was happening right in front of his eyes. He looked and he saw a hat floating by, and as it floated by, it suddenly turned 180 degrees, travelled upstream against the flow of the water and then turned another 180 degrees and came back again. The young man could not believe his eyes. He said, ''Wow, now, now I have the story that I have always been after.'' To which the woman replied, ''Oh no, that's not a story. That's just my husband.'' He said that he was going to mow the lawn come hell or high water. We've probably all made statements of determination like this man at times. However, unlike this man, uh, usually we're exaggerating. Although I do know that one of my own uh, personal character flaws is that I can become really, really focused on a project that I'm working on. I can remember last summer, I was putting a roof on a veranda, and uh, of course that's something you do in the summertime. Uh, It was at least 35 degrees or above at the time, which doesn't sound that hot until you're sitting on top of a zinc roof with the sun shining down on you, as well as reflecting up at you from below. But nevertheless, in my usual kind of way, I was absolutely determined that that roof was going on that day. And so I put on sheet after sheet, tech screw after tech screw, until I could feel myself starting to get really crook. I knew I was starting to get heat struck because I'd done this to myself on many other occasions. But I was really determined to get that roof on. So then I started making bargains with myself. I'll just get this next row done, and then I'll hop down. Well, that row's done now. I'll just get this next row done, and so on and so forth, until I came to the end. And I finally finished, which meant that I could finally allow myself to slowly but surely come off the roof. And I felt really satisfied that I'd finished the job. But it also felt really, really crook. And while determination is not always smart, determination is something that is very, very admirable. Determination requires us to be willing to pay the price for getting that job done, for achieving that goal. And that's what we're being shown in this morning's passage as Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus was determined to make mercy possible for those who trust in him. So in these verses, we're being told that he began to willingly and determinedly head toward the cross. And it's through his determination, his willingness to pay the penalty that we deserve that Jesus displays his mercy to sinners like us. So in verses 51 to 53, we see Jesus' resolve and the Samaritans' rejection. Now these verses are incredibly important to the book of Luke, as short as these verses are. This is a massive shift, a decisive turning point in the book of Luke as Jesus' ministry moves out of Galilee and towards Jerusalem, as he sets his face towards Jerusalem, as the ESV translation puts it. Now, this phrase, to set one's face, is an Old Testament phrase, and it's the idea of being absolutely resolute, absolutely determined to achieve a goal. In Genesis 31, 21, when Jacob was fleeing from his father-in-law, Laban, he set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. He was determined to flee his deceptive father-in-law. In Jeremiah 21, 10, God himself sets his face. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah saying, for I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. God was determined to bring destruction against that evil city. And here in Luke 9, we read that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He was determined to make mercy possible, despite the cost. And so from this point on, until the end of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is journeying toward Jerusalem and ultimately toward the cross. To understand what's going on in these verses, it's helpful for us to have a little bit of an idea of the geography of Palestine. Galilee was in the north. That's where Jesus had spent most of his time doing ministry up until now. And Jerusalem was in the south. But in between these two places was Samaria, or is Samaria. The only problem was that Jews hated Samaritans. The feud between these two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans, had been a long and bitter one. The Samaritans were Israelites who had intermarried with their Assyrian captives hundreds of years earlier. And they were considered half-breeds by the Jews. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't a big enough offence to these proud Jewish people, the Samaritans had also set up a rival temple on Mount Gerizim, which they claimed to be the true temple. It was common practice in those days for Jews to travel all the way around Samaria rather than going through it, just so that they wouldn't make themselves unclean with the soil from that area. But in these verses, we read that Jesus and his disciples began to make their way through Samaria. Now, according to the custom at the time and the culture, it was common for people to welcome visitors, strangers who were travelling through into their homes, to welcome them as guests given that Jesus had a large group with him, he sent messages on ahead so that they could make things ready for them in a a particular village in Samaria. However, we're told that the people in this village did not welcome him. And the reason for this insult was that he had set his face toward Jerusalem. For a As a Samaritan, the fact that Jesus was on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to a rival temple was an absolute insult to their way of worship. It was as though Jesus was saying that the way that they had been worshipping all their lives, the way their fathers and their grandfathers had been worshipping the Lord was wrong. They had grown up strongly believing that the true temple was on Mount Gerizim. But Jesus was resolute. He was determined to head toward the holy city, to Jerusalem, and to to, to the true temple. And so the people of that village would not accept him. In verses fifty four to fifty five we see James and John's response and Jesus' rebuke. When James and John saw how the Samaritans had refused to welcome Jesus the Christ, they were absolutely furious. In these verses, they certainly live up to the name Sons of Thunder that Jesus had given them in Mark uh, Mark chapter three. How dare these Samaritans, these heretical half-breeds, treat Jesus with such little respect. In Luke chapter 9, verse 5, when Jesus had sent out the twelve, Jesus told them, If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town, as a testimony against them. What were they to do? To shake the dust off their feet. They were to leave the judgment up to God instead and focus on the sharing the good news of Jesus. But here, James and John jump straight to asking Jesus if they can call down fire from heaven and utterly destroy them. They seem to have forgotten everything that Jesus had told them in Luke chapter 6 when Jesus told them to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. The reaction seems to be an absolutely extraordinary overreaction until you realise what was going on in the back of James and John's mind. They were thinking of Jesus as an Elijah-like prophet. And they obviously knew the Old Testament passages about Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah had called down fire from heaven and wiped out 50 of the king of Samaria's soldiers who were trying to capture him. James and John clearly saw the Samaritans as their enemies, as the enemies to all the Jews. And so when they would not receive Jesus, they were so offended they wanted to act as judge and to wipe them from the face of the earth. They were thinking about things that had happened in the past. They were thinking about how God had acted in history. They knew what Elisha had done, but they were thinking about God's actions without showing the love that Jesus had been teaching them. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. They were not wrong in recognizing that these Samaritans deserved God's judgment. The truth is, we all do. But James and John were guilty of not showing love and of forgetting God's mercy to them. So when Jesus rebuked them because they did not understand why he had come, their nationalistic pride had caused them to become blind to their need of salvation they had lost sight of why Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem. Not in judgment, but to make mercy possible. Not only for the Jews, but for all who would believe. Everyone knows, well, most people know what John 3.16 says. But John 3.17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Samaritans of that village had been blinded. They were blinded by their preconceived ideas and traditions. They had rejected Jesus because they were so caught up in their father's and their grandfather's ways of worshipping. Couldn't see that the Saviour was right in front of their eyes, that He was the Christ that they had been waiting for. The people of this village had been given an incredible opportunity to receive Jesus. When they wouldn't receive Him, Jesus and His disciples moved on to another village in Samaria. This morning's passage is an important transition in the book of Luke, and it shows us Christ's determination to make mercy possible for all who trust in him. These verses are also an image of how tragic it is when people do not see, hear, and believe in the good news of Jesus. This Samaritan village missed out on the good news of Jesus because of their prejudices. Sadly, this is the same thing that people around us do today. Some have academic or intellectual prejudices against Jesus. They argue and reason against him because the idea of surrendering to his will, admitting their need for a saviour, is just too hard for them to accept. They want a God, we all want a God, but we want him on our own terms. And so they make themselves into gods in their own eyes. For others, it might be prejudices against the church or against a group of Christians who have treated them badly in the past. And because of this bias, they simply refuse to believe. For whatever reason, people reject Jesus. This morning's passage is showing us that it is not us, to us to act as judge. At the same time that Jesus was being turned away from this village, at the same time as they were rejecting him, he was making his way to the cross. He was making mercy possible for those who would believe. Maybe even these Samaritans. He was getting ready to suffer and be crucified for our sake. If there was ever a time in human history when someone had the right to be frustrated by unbelief, it was Jesus in that moment. And yet, he chose to show mercy. Now, we don't know whether the second village he went to, we don't know if they heard the good news of Jesus and repented and believed, We don't know if this first village later repented. What we do know is what Acts chapter 8 tells us, that Philip went to Samaria later on and that there was an incredible pouring out of the Holy Spirit amongst the Samaritans. We don't know if this village later came to believe. What we do know is that by moving on to another village, instead of wiping this village from the face of the earth, Jesus had shown them mercy. He had given them more time to hear and to repent. After all, we are all guilty of unbelief. Just think about it. How many times has God given each of us an opportunity to hear and believe? How many times did we hear the word of God before we believed? Even those of us who grew up in Christian families were not always believers. We did not always have a faith of our own. And he gave us these opportunities to believe because of his mercy to us. This morning's passage is reminding us of Christ's mercy, his determination to make mercy possible. It's also a reminder of how amazingly patient our Saviour is. While those Samaritans were still sinners, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' sacrifice, his determination, his willingness to go to the cross for us is the centre of the good news of Jesus. Without Christ's willingness to go to the cross on our behalf, there simply would be no way of salvation. Except for Jesus, none of us would be able to measure up to God's perfect standards of holiness. Our best works, our greatest deeds, our most sacrificial actions are not enough to tip the scales next to the incredible weight of our sin that bears down on the other side. Because of Jesus, we have received forgiveness and mercy through his death in our place. So this morning, we are being reminded, along with James and John, that it is not our role to act as judge to those who do not receive the good news. Instead, it's our role to hold out the hope of salvation, to hold out the invitation This morning's passage is a reminder that we should never give up on anyone. We should never suggest that anyone is too far for the gospel to reach. There is no one too hard, no heart too hard, no one too against the gospel that the Holy Spirit cannot bring to Christ. There is no prejudice too great or bias too strong. We must remember that Romans 5, verse 6 says, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. Who knows what incredible, amazing work of the Holy Spirit God is getting ready to do in your family member, your friend or your colleague who doesn't yet know Jesus. Christ was determined to show mercy and love to me and he is, was willing to show his mercy to you and he is determined to bring many more to himself. It's not up to us to stand as judge against those who have not yet believed. Instead, we are called to be determined to hold out the hope of salvation to continue to do it even when we get rejected. To keep holding out that invitation to accept the good news of Jesus, to hear and believe. And when people reject it, it is ours to lift them up in prayer, to keep praying that God's mercy might enable them to believe and to receive the good news of Jesus. For it's because of Christ's determination that mercy has been made possible for you and I. So may we have the same kind of determination when it comes comes to holding out the hope we have in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your incredible mercy the determination to pay the price, to willingly suffer and be crucified on our behalf. Lord, we understand that there was not one step that you took towards the cross without understanding the full weight, the full burden and the full cost of what you would have to do in Jerusalem. Lord, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you willingly and determinedly went to the cross for us. And Lord, as those who have been forgiven, we pray that you would bless us with determination to share the good news of Jesus, to keep holding out the hope of our salvation, that others might hear and believe and enter into your family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.